John 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Father, we thank you for this passage. Speak to our hearts through it this day. Fill me, I pray, with your spirit. Help me, Lord, uh, to have nothing in my heart or life that would hinder my usefulness today. And help me to say only the things I should and say exactly what I should as boldly as is needed. And help, I pray today, Lord, that we would all have open hearts and minds. I pray if there's anybody here today who uh, these, these thoughts are, are new to, I pray that they come to know the Lord today. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Usually at Christmas time, we find ourselves in one of two Gospels. Uh, we oftentimes find ourselves in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 2 primarily, and we're talking about things like the decree of Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed, or Joseph going from Nazareth to Bethlehem, for he was of the house and lineage of David. Or we find ourselves talking about the fact that while they were in Bethlehem, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Or that there were shepherds in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night when an angel came to them and said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Or that suddenly there was a a multitude of the heavenly hosts there with those angels praising God. Or that the shepherds came with haste and found them, found the babe and Mary and Joseph, and uh, found the babe lying in a manger. Luke chapter 2. Isn't that where we spend most of our time, it seems, Christmas? Even, Even Linus on the Charlie Brown Christmas knew that that's the key passage, perhaps, for understanding the events of the Christmas season. If we're not in Luke chapter 2 at Christmas time, we're often in Matthew chapter 1 and 2. And we're talking there about various different things. Joseph and Mary's betrothal, Mary's unbelievable pregnancy before her and Joseph were married. The angel's even more unbelievable announcement that her pregnancy was an act of the Holy Spirit. And that the child that would be born, a son, uh, she would bring him forth and call his name Jesus. He would save his people from their sins. Amazing thought. We, we, we would read there in Matthew chapter 1 and 2 of wise men coming from the east, following a star to the place where he was, offering gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. That's where we usually go at Christmas time. I didn't look back through the records of past Christmases to see where we've preached uh, Christmas messages, but I think pro- probably predominantly we've been in those passages because that's where we usually go. We don't usually think of John because John does not normally 
he doesn't, well, not normally, he doesn't at all talk about the events of the incarnation. He doesn't talk about the angels or the shepherds or Mary and Joseph or, or, the, or the, the birth or any of that stuff. And so we would not normally think about that. But I want to draw your attention to a verse which the Lord has spoken to my heart about, and which I think may explain the Christmas story as well as anything that we will ever hear. And that's verse number 11. John chapter 11. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. And actually, for the purposes of our discussion this morning, I'm going to narrow it down even further. I just want you to look at the first five words. He came to his own. I don't think we're going to find a better explanation of what we're celebrating this time of year than those five words. He came to his own. Let's notice what John said. And let's start with just that very first word, he. He. He came to his own. I I don't think anybody can properly understand what happened there in that manger without contemplating that word, he. Who, who, Who was he, anyway? Who was lying there in that manger? Ask the man in the street, and you will probably find all kinds of answers to the question of who was Jesus. Uh, you'll hear all kinds of things. You'll hear things like, well, he was a great teacher, or he was a, a martyr for his cause. He was a, a wonderful example. He was a good man. He was a tragic figure who died way too young. You'll hear things like that from most people in the street, if they even have ever heard of Jesus. In our country today, it's becoming less and less likely that people have even ever heard of him other than as a curse word. But those are the kind of answers you get. And and I would think that even in a crowd like this, in churches across our land, um, there would be some who would answer that question. Well, I think that Jesus was a good moral teacher. C.S. Lewis spoke about that. C.S. Lewis wrote some years ago in Mere Christianity. He said, and I quote, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. And that is, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else he was a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Nobody could say it quite like C.S. Lewis. But, I mean, think about that. I mean, it's true. John certainly considered him more than a great moral teacher here. He gave us all kinds of descriptions. Consider some of the things he said about him. In verse number one, he said he was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. Now, that might seem, if we haven't studied it out, it might seem like kind of an odd description to give to a person, to Jesus Christ. That's who he's talking about there. The Word is a name for Jesus that he's given. It might seem odd to our sensibilities, but... When we study a little bit further, we come across passages like uh, in Revelation chapter 19. Consider this. Revelation 19.11, I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. 
And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's who John was talking about when he said, in the beginning was the Word. That uh, tremendously powerful description that we see in Revelation. Talking about the same person. He was the Word. John said he was the Eternal One. Verse number one, he was in the beginning. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He was in the very beginning. Now, of course, we know that's not talking about his beginning because God was eternal. But our beginning, he was in the very beginning of all that we know, all of the Genesis chapter 1. He was the eternal one. He was one with God. He was not only with God, John said, he was God. That's a very powerful statement. Verse number 3, he was the creator. He was the creator of all things. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was not made. He created all things. Nothing that was created was created by anybody else. He is the creator. Paul wrote to the Ephesians about the God who created all things through Jesus Christ in Ephesians 3.9. He wrote to the Colossians, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Colossians 1.16. The writer of the Hebrews said, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. That's who that little baby was. That little baby that lay there in that manger on that first Christmas was the maker of worlds. That little baby was the creator of all things. John said in verse number 4, he was the source of light. In verse number 5, he said he was of life in verse number 4. In verse number 5, he says he was the source of light. That little baby depicted lying so peacefully in so many nativity scenes was and is the everlasting, eternal God-man. He created you. I mean, think about that. I oftentimes wonder, what did Mary and Joseph think? If, if, if you come and you watch this, the, the nativity story with us, the, the movie, The Nativity, it's, it's such a beautiful thing. There's a scene in there where Joseph holds the baby high. And, and I've often wondered, as he looked into the eyes of that, did he know he was holding his creator? What, what an astonishing thought. Did he realize that that was the creator of all things? They were holding their creator in their arms, their savior, their king. That baby is the one from whom all life comes. He's the source of all light. I think we could take that a couple of different ways. I think we could take it literally. The Bible tells me that God made two great lights, the sun to rule by day and the moon to rule by night. And oh, and by the way, he made the stars also. All the things that cause physical light were created by him. Astonishing as that thought is. But I think there's another form of light. I think, I think this goes more broadly to things like the light of knowledge, the light of understanding, the light of reason, the light of wisdom, the light of logic, the light of justice. All those forms of light as well, I think, are included in his thinking there. This, this, this one, this he, he was the source of life. He was the source of light. I think it's amazing that John could capture so much in one word. 
Two little letters. He. Because He is the reason for the season. He is the, is the, is the whole reason that we're, that we're here. And unless we get a grasp in our heart and mind of who He is, we're never going to understand Christmas. It's never going to be anything more than a secular holiday. A couple years ago, we said goodbye to a, a dear old friend here of this church, George Hanlon. Those of you who might remember George, he used to sit right about where Randy's sitting right there now. He had, uh, when I was a, a young man in this church, he was very much a part here, and I have so many memories of him serving so faithfully in this place. And then for a period of time, they attended another place, and at the very end of his life, they came back. And so if you know George, you probably remember him just as uh, a very ancient fellow who sat over there who was dying of cancer and who eventually we did hold a service, a funeral service for him. But you know, one of the things I remember about George was he liked to sing. And he was a good singer. And it's funny how certain songs you associate with certain people. And for the rest of my life, I will always remember one song that George Hanlon used to sing. Just a few lines from it. Said he can turn the tides and calm the angry sea. He alone decides who writes a symphony. He lights every star that makes the darkness bright. He keeps watch all through each long and lonely night. He can grant a wish or make a dream come true. He can paint the clouds and turn to gray the blue. He alone is there to find a rainbow's end. He alone can see what lies beyond the bend. He can touch a tree and turn the leaves to gold. He knows every lie that you and I have told. He. The first thing that I see in this wonderful passage, he came to his own. It's just that. He. Who he was. John's not done, though. I want you to notice something else he said in these five little words. He said he came. He came. Brother Jeff and I were just talking Wednesday night in our praise team practice, and we were discussing the word Emmanuel. It's another one of those words that we hear a lot about at Christmas time. I believe we heard it a few times this morning in the music. And I mentioned to Jeff and and we talked about this fact that I think Emmanuel may be one of the most musical words in all of the Bible. It's just a lyrical, beautiful word. It just flows off of your tongue, Emmanuel. It's so easy to sing. And there are so many songs that have been written about that particular word. But the sound of the word is not what makes it special. What makes the word really special is the meaning of the word, which is God with us. Matthew in his gospel quoted the prophet Isaiah, who said, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. It is amazing that he, that little baby, uh, was God. That's an astonishing thought. And we could, we could think about that for the rest of our lives and never totally get our minds around it. It's amazing. But it's equally amazing, and perhaps even more so, that he came to be with us. That Emmanuel, God with us, is who that little baby was. He didn't come to tell us of a God far off, rather of a God that is near, that is here, that is right here with us. He came. He took the initiative. He reached down to where we were. He did not leave us without hope. When he saw our plight, he brought the solution to us. He came. He came. And you know, right here is a, is, a, is a major difference between Christianity and every other religious system on the earth. 
almost, maybe I shouldn't say every so, so firmly, but I think, I think it's probably true. Almost every other belief system that you might name has as its purpose us reaching up to God. Christianity is exactly the opposite. Christianity is God reaching down to us. Other religions say that if we do enough good works, if we sacrifice enough, if we perform the right religious rituals, if we live a clean enough life, God will see our good works and let us into heaven because our good works outweigh the bad. That's Islam. Islam, at the end of life, your good works are weighed against your bad. And as long as your good works outweigh the bad, you have a chance of getting in. Christianity is not that. Christianity is the opposite. It's not us working to please God or performing our religious duties flawlessly or sacrificing more than the next guy or anything we might do. It's not about us reaching up to God in any way. It's rather about Him coming to us. He came. He came. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He took the initiative, and he came to us. And and I I don't know about you, but that thought is so far beyond my ability to convey in words, my ability to even understand in my mind. How, How can it be? How can it be? I can't describe it. He came to us. We've sung this song so many times. The Son of God came down, laid aside his crown, born without great renown, this sovereign one. All holiness and might, all glory shining bright, have come to earth this night in Mary's Son. Oh, come let us adore. O oh, Christ, the Lord, our hope and Savior, Son of God, yet made like us. O oh, Christ, the Lord, our King adored, born a child, our Lord Jesus. That's astonishing to me. I don't know about you. You don't look very astonished. But it's astonishing to me. He came. God Came. And I'll say the same thing about this one I said about the first point. You will never understand Christmas if you don't understand this. If you don't get your mind around this, Christmas is just some other holiday. It's just about trees. It's just about Frosty the Snowman. It's just about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. It's about all that nonsense. You're not going to understand what it really is about unless you understand this. He came. But John's still not done. There's a little bit left to this verse. Notice it again. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. He came to his own. Now, I think most of the time when I read that verse, and, and maybe up until this study for this message, when I've read that verse, my mind's eye fixes on the last part of that verse, where it talks about the fact that he came to his own and his people did not receive him. His own didn't receive him. Even though he came, he was rejected. Even though he came, the ones that he came for rejected him and wanted nothing to do with him. And many task passages teach that same sad truth. John chapter 3 and verse 32, what, what he has seen and heard that he testifies and no one receives his testimony. Isaiah 53, we quote this one a lot. He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness and when we see him there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Isaiah 53, verses 2 and 3. We only need to fast forward to the end of the Gospels. We're looking at the beginning of the Gospels now. We only need to fast forward to the end to be reminded of how many rejected the Savior. Of how they turned against Him and nailed Him to a cross and watched Him die and laid Him in a grave and walked away. 
But I noticed something else in this, in this, in this little phrase that has just spoken to my heart this time. I don't know uh, if you notice it or not, but I just want to stress it, something different this morning. You see, it says here, he came to his own. I just want you to meditate on that phrase for a few moments. He came to his own. I'm not a fan of social media, as most of you know, less so every day. But I do, from time to time, go on there. And we use social media for some things here at the church. And I've noticed something when I'm lurking around on Facebook from time to time. I've noticed something that makes me sad. And that's this. There's an awful lot of lonely people on social media. Have you noticed that? And I, I guess it's, it, social media is just a microcosm of of, of society at, at large, so I guess that's not unusual. There's lonely people everywhere. But sometimes when I'm on Facebook, I'll read things like this. Somebody will make a post that says something like this. I wonder if there's anybody on here that really cares about me. You ever see that kind of a post on Facebook? I see this stuff all the time on there. Have you ever read those? Have you ever written those? Have you ever made such a post, typed it out on your own keyboard? Have you ever thought it in your mind, even if you didn't type it out? Is there anybody who really cares about me? If that's the case, boy, I would encourage you to think about those words again. He came to his own. Because here's what I see in that. I see in that that you are not alone. I see in that that you are not without purpose. I see in that that you are the precious possession and beloved treasure of God. He came to his own. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what kind of mistakes you might have made. I don't care what kind of sins you might wrestle with or what addictions you might be enslaved to. I don't care what kind of hurt you've caused to others. None of that matters. No matter who you are and where you are in life, you are his own. And he came for you. We live in a day and age when science and technology, at least in our culture, is worshipped above God in many parts of our society. Our children are taught, maybe more properly I should say they are brainwashed in our school systems that there is no God. That they are the product of millions of years of evolution. That they're really no different than a rock. That a chance coming together of elements brought about their existence. That they came from nothing. They go back to nothing when they die. And you know what? They hear those words and they learn from them that there is no meaning to life. It's just a random thing. Random chance. They learn that there is no hope for a future. For when they die, they're just going to rot in the ground. Return to the very elements from which they came. What point dreams? They die with you. What hope for the future? The future ends when breathing ends. What reason for anything? Why try anything? Maybe I'm stretching John's words here a bit, but you know what? I, I see something very different. And I see that Jesus came to his own. I am not without purpose, and neither are you. I am his. And you belong to Him. He created you to be His. He created you that He might have a relationship with you. He loves you. Notice what John said in the very next verse. He said, but as many as received Him to them, He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in His name. You need not be alone. You need not wonder 
if anybody cares about you. You need not look into a future without hope. You need not think that this life is all there is. Nothing about that is true. You can look to a future filled with love and hope and joy because you are his. You are his precious treasure. He loved you enough to come for you, to come to you, and to redeem you to be his own. Norman Clayton wrote a hymn. We, we sing this one a lot, too. But boy, did he nail these truths. He said, Jesus, my Lord, will love me forever. From him, no power of evil can sever. He gave his life to ransom my soul. Now I belong to him. Once I was lost in sin's degradation, Jesus came down to bring me salvation, lifted me up from sorrow and shame. Now I belong to him. Joy floods my soul. For Jesus has saved me, freed me from sin that long had enslaved me. His precious blood he gave to redeem. Now I belong to him. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. Not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. That thought is all throughout our Bible. Over and over. In the Old Testament, we see God calling the children of Israel His precious treasure, His precious uh, possession. And when we see the same thought being applied to all of us when we get to the New Testament. I mean, listen to some of these verses. Deuteronomy chapter 14. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for Himself, a special treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Isaiah 43, verse 1. But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and He who formed you, O Israel, fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 15. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Same thought, Galatians chapter 4 verse 5. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. That little word, Abba, is a beautiful word in your Bible. Aramaic word. You know what it means? It means daddy. It means papa. It's a endearing term between a father and a child. My little grandson Jericho calls me papa. And I love it when he does that because it's, it's an endearing thing. We have a special relationship. And here the Bible tells us that's the relationship we have with our father. Jesus came to his own, I can't stress enough, if you don't get this thought firmly in your mind, that He came for you, that He came for you, then you're not going to understand Christmas. You're never going to really get it if you don't get the wonderful truth. He came to His own. The very Son of God, the Creator, the Lord, the King, He came. He came to His own. He, he didn't wait for us to find Him. He didn't give up on us when we turned our backs on him. He knew we were dust. He knew we were lost. He knew we were without hope. And so he came. And he came to his own. He created us to be his own special treasure, to have a deep and lasting relationship with him. He came to us. He came to me. He came to you. We are his. He came to his own. Let's all stand this morning. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed just for a moment. Musicians can come. We're going to sing in just a moment. But beforehand, every head bowed, every eye closed. We're going to talk a little bit more about this, Lord willing, next week. We'll continue in verse 11 and, and read a little bit further.
But let me just read a couple of verses from there now while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. He came to his own, his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. Did you get that last part? To those who believe in his name. You see this special relationship that he came to make possible for you and and, and him, it's, it's not automatic. It's not automatic. Yes, he came. You read further in the Gospels and you learn that he not only came, but he died on the cross to make that relationship possible. But it's not automatic. There's a part you have to play. You have to believe it. You have to believe it. You have to believe that babe was God, that he was your creator, and that he came and died for you. You have to believe it. You have to believe that he rose from the dead and is coming back again someday for you. You have to believe it. The Bible says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And you have to do something else. You have to receive him. That's what John said here, isn't it? To as many as received him. So we're going to sing in just a moment. But let me ask you these two questions. Do you believe? Do you believe? And have you received that gift of salvation? Have you ever said, Lord Jesus, I believe and I want to receive you as my Savior? If not, you can do that this morning. I'm praying you'll do it this morning. We're going to sing. We're going to give you an opportunity. The altar will be open. You can come, and we'll pray with you. But why don't you do that today?